0: Welcome to Breaking Business Barriers, where we believe that choosing to go all in is the only way to create true freedom in your business and life. Now join your hosts, Brent Duhayne, Dr. Joseph Kaye, and Brandon Straza as they talk to industry leaders, veteran CEOs, and cutting-edge entrepreneurs about the tough decisions they made on their way to success this is breaking business barriers
1: welcome to another episode of breaking business barriers brought to us today by open media source have a co-host with me and I'll I'll get into introing him first but a, a special guest and a first time first time player with breaking business barriers ed cressy now ed ed brings uh an amazing story to us, but let, let me also talk a little bit about Ed, what his work has done over the last several years. Ed has appeared in the Washington Post, Box, and the San Francisco Chronicle, among others. He's been on various podcasts, including now Breaking Business Fair. So I feel really, really honored for the fact that uh, Ed is is on the Breaking Business episode, along with Quan and myself. Again, this is Brent Duham. And let me introduce our our co-host. He's been he's had a featured episode on breaking business barriers. Our right, our co-host today is Quan Nguyen. Quan, how about it? How about it? How about a little reminder? If you're you're an author. You've got a book coming out in 2020. Why don't you remind us the the title of that book? And and then I'm gonna flip it over to you. How you've gotten to know uh, your good friend
2: Ed? Sure thing. Thank you, Brent. Um, yeah, my name's Quan Huyen. Um. I am an author. It's going to be coming out, uh, scheduled for May of 2020. The book is called The Sparrow in the Razor Wire. And it's written for men and um, that are doing long or life-term sentences in prison. I'm sharing with them, how did I find my own sense of inner freedom before I was ever um, paroled for my own life sentence. Uh, I'm so honored to be on this uh, call with, uh, Ed today. It's a good friend of mine. I first met him in Palo Alto. We were both, uh, Defy, uh, entrepreneurs in training EITs, and we were pitching our business up there. And then later on we pitched again in New York. So, and we've just, uh, stayed in touch ever since. Juan, uh, why don't you r-
1: remind us a little bit about Dubai uh, Ventures, and then, the pitch approach, real briefly, and then then um, we'll hear from Ed.
2: Sure thing. The uh, Five Ventures is a nonprofit that helps men and women with criminal histories to create their own companies uh, through the lens of entrepreneurship. Uh, it's it's a it's about a six to seven month program inside prison that culminates in a business pitch competition. So Ed and I were both uh, involved and we're both graduates from the program. So yeah, that's, that's how we got involved.
1: And it's very cool. It's a great program. I obviously had an opportunity. We did, we've done a number of uh, episodes on our experience and then some of the coolest people on the planet that we've gotten to know. Quan, you being one of them, certainly among others, and, uh, really good people and, and the, and the approach for this, and it's great to see and, and rehab may not be the right word or the terminology, but it's preparing Preparing those that are incarcerated for life outside of outside of prison, and the amazing success rate that it has is off the charts when you just look at the numbers purely. So, uh, very very cool. Kwan, thanks for that uh, intro, and and we're going to turn the light on to Ed. Ed, uh, first of all, uh, a, few, a few things. You're an author, and we'll talk about your book here in, in just in just a second. But first, most importantly. Where the heck can we find Ed? Social media, you're out there, we know it, but uh, why don't you go ahead and share where, where someone uh, can find you.
0: Thank you, Brent, and thank you, Kwan. It's such an honor to be here with the two of you. Your your work and your lives are so inspiring to me. I'm grateful to be here. Uh, you can find me, your, your audience can find me on my website, www.edcressy.com, as ed dot com. You can go onto my website, download a free PDF I wrote on 10 helpful questions if someone you love is recovering from drug addiction. You can also, uh, you can get that PDF and you can learn more about the work I've been doing and my upcoming book.
1: It's, it's awfully amazing and I encourage everyone to look up Ed and you can find out Certainly, you're going to hear a, a, a lot of his story. if We get to know him personally, and, and as I've said, anyone who is is has been uh, up against challenges. Some days it may seem like it's uh, it it's just too much. And I've I've got two people on today's episode that that have overcome challenges that you wouldn't dream to. Uh, to see where they where they are today, and and being super productive, and I'm I'm honored to be able to call them friends. Ed, a newer we friend, certainly now, but uh, great people, just really, really, really great people. So let's. Uh, all right. So you you're writing you're writing a book. It's or it's written. It's going to come out early next year. Ed, what what do you tell us about the the title of the book and and a little bit kind of the what inspired you to get there?
0: Sure. Thanks, Brent. My I- I may be the only person who was ever once arrested by the FBI and then went on to turn my life around and receive a community service award from the director of the FBI. I was able to do this for one simple reason. Amazing, remarkable people came into my life, helped me transform from a lifestyle of drug addiction, of criminal activities, of draining resources from society. My lifestyle was one of taking from communities as a person addicted to drugs for 20 years. When I finally found the strength to quit drugs back in 2008 to these remarkable people who came into my life and inspired me to become a community servant. Eventually, as I volunteered and And gave to others the way so many others generously gave to me through the course of 12 years. Out of all the help I received, some of the most meaningful came from persons in law enforcement. What happened was as a methamphetamine addict, which I was for 11 years, I sunk very deep into methamphetamine psychosis. I would hear disembodied voices and believe in these vast government conspiracies that had targeted me with my family and my friends all on board. I'd thrown away my life savings. I threw away my career in biotechnology. I threw away the home that I owned in San Francisco, all my relationships, even my dog. I'd ended up. A person who you might see encounter on the streets of your own city or town. I shambled the sidewalks and lurked in doorways, having screaming matches with people who weren't even there, carrying a, a loaded pistol for protection against people I thought were after me. Brent, I did this for years until my choices boiled down to three. I could get locked up, I could get covered up, as in six feet of earth covered up, or I could get sobered up. This is where my four choices led me to. Those were really my only three options. I found the strength to get clean. I discovered that just because you're done with drugs doesn't mean drugs are done with you. The psychosis that I mentioned, a schizophrenia-like condition persisted. I experienced this schizophrenia-like, these symptoms, which even to this day have not completely resolved. Sometimes episodes persist or flashbacks. Nevertheless, because of so many compassionate, wonderful people, I was able to face my fears. I I was able to interact uh, as a community servant, as a volunteer first responder. I worked for the Red Cross. I worked for other organizations. Incredibly, I became a volunteer for the FBI. The very people I'd been so afraid of for years as a methamphetamine addict, and even in the years since, I had this deep paranoia about the FBI. I'm very grateful to the Bureau, very grateful to many others for allowing me to focus my work on solving one of our society's most troubling problems. That's the problem of mass incarceration. Although I myself was incarcerated only briefly, I spent about two and a half months locked up in jail cells in a psychiatric ward. I experienced firsthand the unfair Advantages that society bestowed upon me, you know, let's face it, because of the color of my skin, because of my socioeconomic background, which is privilege, society gave me these unfair advantages. I believe that's the only reason I didn't serve much longer than two and a half months. The the mistakes I made, the crimes I committed, I was always on a path through college education, through home ownership, through a professional career. Society always had me on that path, despite my poor choices leading to addiction. Society puts other individuals on far different paths. And as hard as I had to work to get off my path into places like jail and addiction, other people have to work far much, much harder than I do to get on to places like higher education and business ownership. These things sound obvious to say, yet it's different when one lives them. I got a chance to live them. It's one of several reasons why I'm so grateful to individuals such as yourself, Brent, for the work that you're, you, you're doing with the five ventures, for incredible sources of inspiration like my man, Kwan, who showed me that I can do better, that I can keep striving, that I can keep improving myself and hopefully bring some small measure of good to the communities around me. This is what my life is about today. It's an amazing transformation from where I was 12 years ago, thanks to so many individuals. I'm very grateful.
1: So Kwan, you know, you, you you've uh, obviously heard Ed's story and, and know him as a friend. Look looking back, could you imagine someone, let's say, of privilege, you know, biotech? I mean, you're talking, you know, big time white collar profession. Could you, you know, in your in your days of uh, in your prior days of being in prison, Kwan, did you you ever hear stories of someone such as Ed's that that uh, here he is, you know, you think the world is right at his fingertips, professional, super smart. Could you imagine someone falling off the, you know, off to the point where Ed did, or did you meet anyone uh, back in your days?
2: No, not particularly like that. Of course, there's all different stories. Um, and, you know, maybe I'm biased because I know Ed personally. So um, it's just hard for me to even, because I know him now, but it's hard for me even picture him like that back then. So um yeah, it's because in prison we just all looked at each everyone was wearing the same uniform. Everybody had their own stories and, and small little tidbits, but um yeah, not not to this extent.
1: So it's uh, it's it's truly, truly amazing. And and Ed, we have obviously we have parents, we have youngsters that listen to the episode so looking back at your life early early on ed if you could if you could give or shed some advice back to your early days now knowing what you would know what advice would you have given yourself or what would you give yourself
0: my advice would be to follow follow your dreams all my life i'd want to be a writer since i was a little kid i was a very Bullied kid, I always felt very ostracized from the cliques of, uh, of popular kids. I, I just felt I couldn't interact effectively with, uh, in, in social situations. Writing was the one thing I felt good at. When I was standing in front of classrooms reading papers that I read or stories, or my teachers would read my stories out loud, I felt proud of myself. That, that was one of the few times I remember in my, my school days feeling proud of myself. What happened was I found another thing that I felt good at, which was drinking. Started drinking at 14 years old. Well, I, started, I got drunk for the first time when I was 14 and started drinking heavily when I was 16. That, to me, became a far easier way to uh, feel good about myself than writing. Writing, you know, that requires discipline. That requires uh, failure and success and learning from one's failure. Writing requires effort. Drinking, for me, that didn't require any of those things. I could get drunk and all of a sudden feel like I was somebody, like like I had some skills, like I could interact successfully with people around me. I would go back and say to myself, hey, Ed, have compassion for yourself, have discipline, don't be afraid to fail, and uh, like you say on your show, Brent, go, go all in. Now, I would say go all in, become a writer. If writing is something you feel you have to do, do it. Whatever it is, it's in your, your passion, put aside those fears and doubts, uh, sit with those fears and doubts about what the future is going to bring. There's um, on your first show, Brent, you, you said some, one of you, uh, either you or your co-host said something very interesting was, which was uh, about the relationship between short-term pains and long-term gains. And if I remember correctly, you said, you know, take those short-term pains and, and allow them to translate into the longer term. There's a a well-known motivational speaker from back in the day named Jim Rohn. He said something which I'll always remember. Um, There's two kinds of discipline. There's the pain. No, I'm sorry. There's two kinds of pain. There's the pain of discipline, and there's the pain of regret. You know, the pain of discipline is tough because it's right now. we We feel that pain of discipline right now, yet the pain of regret is much longer, and it can be much worse. I would go back and somehow convince myself as a kid to take that pain of discipline to apply myself to being a writer. And uh, I know because I have been applying myself for the past 10 years that the rewards of those discipline, uh, the, the rewards of the discipline far outweigh the pain I experienced.
1: Wow. That's a, that's amazing advice. And, and, uh, certainly it will be much appreciated out there and, you know, follow your dreams but uh, double underlying discipline, right? And, and uh, you know, oftentimes all the entrepreneurs or business professionals, or in any profession, really it's just not all business. And certainly, Quan, you, you own a business and, and uh, maybe even more than one if I remember right, but, but certainly there, there's a lot of failures along the way. And, um, you know, if they're learning experiences, so be it, right? And sometimes they, they may leave a scar, but uh, you know, scar scars are fine. Sometimes they're uh sometimes they're better than any sort of cool tattoo for sure. So that we learn. Kwan, do you have any any questions for Ed?
2: Um, well you have a book coming out. Uh what about uh, so you've you've cause you said this has always been one of your goals. So I mean, what's next for you then, Ed? I mean your book's coming out. Um I hope that's not it for you, right?
0: One, I'm going to keep following the leadership that you've set forth and so many others like you. I'm going to continue to leverage incredible partnerships that I've forged with organizations like the Five Ventures, like Google, like the FBI, LinkedIn. These and many other incredible organizations believe in me, they believe in my work. I'm going to keep getting that message out there more and more so. The, the problem. As I see it, one problem I see it is that when someone, you know, say in the audience right now encounters a quote unquote street person, a person who, you know, may be homeless or on the edge of homelessness, a person addicted to drugs, a person in psychosis, suffering mental illness, uh addiction challenges. The someone in your audience may encounter this person or may even know a person like this. The problem is how you feel, how you as the audience member feel. You feel probably hopeless. You feel a sense of desperation. You feel a sense of loss because you want to help, but you don't quite know how. The way I solve that is by showing you that people that, first of all, I was that person. I was the individual out on the street. I was the street person who was out there in addiction, psychosis, and seemingly so far gone, I was past the point of return. Yet I did return. So I give you as the reader hope. I give you uh, an idea of the possibility that a person can turn his life around or her life around for her himself, but also for society, the way I've been able to do, thanks to the help of, of many people. This is an important, critical, a pivotal message that we in society need to hear need to live. I, I believe, just because I've seen the benefits to me as a person and to those around me. The communities. The more I can put this message out, the more persons who might be inspired by it. The more, uh, as much as, as I've ever accomplished myself, having tr- transformed from the life of addiction and criminality, there are many, many people who can accomplish as much as me, and probably far more than I ever did. It's the it, the way this is. We do this is through compassion, through empathy, through giving second chances. It's very important to me that people understand second chances benefit the receiver, yet sometimes they benefit the giver just as much, if not even more so.
1: You said earlier, Ed, you really had three choices, and really only one that was viable. You, you, you took you took that choice and put it to good good work, and reminding everyone, Ed said, he could either be locked up, which that did happen for a period of a number of months, could be dead. Or choose a path of sobriety. And was there was there a an aha moment? I know Quan's story very, very well. Was there an aha moment that all of a sudden you said, you know what? I'm good. I'm I'm taking this this path. I'm I'm going, I'm gonna get myself straightened up, kick the barriers down. Was there anything that kind of tripped that wire?
0: There were several moments like that, Brent. One that I always recall as I was staying in a well, I was working uh, at, at Stanford University. I'd gotten clean for a couple of months and I uh, got some wonderful opportunities. Stanford generously hired me, gave me a chance to work in their cutting edge cancer center. I had a, an apartment right off campus. I got my dog back. It was right around this time of year. I was at a holiday party that Stanford, Stanford put on. Somebody offered me a glass of wine. I took that glass of wine. A couple of months later, I was back on the meth pipe. About a month or so after that, I was staying in a homeless shelter here in San Francisco. Stanford University will never consider hiring me again. I have never seen my dog since. It was this beautiful animal that I love so much. The dog was gone forever. Everything I had, I lost because of that decision of mine to, to drink that wine to get back on the meth pipe. What happened was, as far as an aha moment, when I was in that homeless shelter, uh, there was a big outdoor area where people would smoke. You'd go outside and smoke cigarettes. A, a guy was going around selling single cigarettes for 25 cents. I pulled out a quarter, gave it to him. As I was smoking my Marlboro, it occurred to me, I had just spent one third of my entire net worth on a single cigarette. You know, because three quarters was all I had. That was all I had in my name. And I spent one of those quarters on a cigarette from a guy who had been given almost every opportunity you can imagine, been given a college education, a career, a home, motorcycles, relationships, all kinds of incredible things. There I was, one third of my net worth gone, smoking it right down to the filter. I didn't even get clean after that. I got clean for a little while after that, bounced in and out of rehab. We could be here the rest of today and, and probably through the next couple of days with stories like this where I had the chance to turn my life around and didn't. That's one of them. I think the important one important message for your listeners is that when, when you have moments like this, you don't have to do what I did. You don't have to keep bouncing in and out. You don't have to get these aha moments and push them aside in favor of going back to your addiction or going back to your. Uh, your your negative behaviors or whatever it is, you can seize the moment. You can seize the opportunity. You can turn your life around. It's uh, it's You can make the decision. I didn't make that decision, that homeless shelter. I wish I had because the ensuing years of addiction definitely took their toll on me. If you see yourself having an aha moment like this, you know, sit down, take it, uh, take stock of your support networks, take stock of the people and the opportunities around you, turn your life around. There's help and there's compassion out there for you.
1: Wow, great! Um, you know there was more than one wire that uh, you had to trip over, and certainly more than one barrier that stood in front of you, and some monumental barriers uh, at that. You mentioned you mentioned earlier law enforcement. I think we, sh- we should give a you know a shout out to our our first responders and uh, law enforcement because you ref you know all too often we hear negativity in the news about you know police this police that or you know something that went wrong but there's a lot of really really good people in in law enforcement and that were you surprised at that
0: i you know i think one one secret about drug addicts like i was is that a lot of us think we could have made good cops you know we think we we could have taken the correct path whereas we look back and see the wrong choices we made, we think we could have taken a correct path and gone into law enforcement and helped people. There is uh, that kinship, I feel, between those of us struggling with addiction and people who are sworn to uh, serve and protect communities as law enforcement officers or law enforcement persons. So Brent, to answer your question, I- I've met, uh, out of all the remarkable individuals who's helped, who have helped me, some of the most remarkable do come from law enforcement. Uh, I wrote my recent Washington Post article on on a San Francisco Police Department captain, Renee Pagano. You you can uh, look up my name in Washington Post and and read the full story. But Captain Pagano said a few kind words to me when she arrested me one night back in 2004. Uh, Captain Pagano, her kind words helped set my life on on a clearer, better path. The same is true for so many individuals in the FBI. I found FBI agents and executives truly dedicated to serving communities affected by incarceration. I found FBI people very dedicated to helping communities and persons affected by addiction. So uh, Brent, I couldn't agree with you more. In addition to law enforcement, fire department, um, Red Cross, uh, those involved in public safety, these are amazing, many of them are amazing individuals who truly serve to make communities better. And I know they've made my life better.
1: High fives to all of them and hugs around, no no doubt about it. And and I bet she'll never forget those kind words that you then um, came back with her. And you know, that's career meaning I'm sure for for the captain. Well we've talked we've talked about some heavy lifting here and, and some some really amazing amazing content and and sharing your story I have, I have i do have a question so you know putting putting your life on a podcast or in an article and, the, and also then a book seemed to seem to come out in 2020 were you worried about what other people would think of you and your story
0: Absolutely, Brennan It speaks so much to uh, the, the, the problem of stigma, which I, I realize is a huge issue. Uh, I mentioned that even to this day, I experience a form of schizophrenia r- related to my psychosis. You know, my personal choice was never to use medication. Instead, I pursued a path of spirituality and meditation and self-improvement. Nevertheless I was very hesitant to be honest and to be forthcoming about this schizophrenia like condition that I experienced this is until recently until recently I let I just in my book I'm I'm going to be upfront I'm going to be honest I realized that we're only as sick as our secrets and that when we that sunlight is the best disinfectant when we shine light on the shadow the shadow goes away to these things are ideals I very much believe in to put them into practice by being honest by writing about them by speaking about them that's a different story it's still I, I still very much believe in the ideals but Brent just like you say it's very challenging uh, for me to overcome my concern my worry about what will people think of me it goes back to the stigma I I pushed myself full I I I convinced myself I believe in that that spiritual pathway, that there's some universal force or power that I don't completely understand, but, but that guides my life. And that force wants me to be loving, to be compassionate, and to be honest. Because my honesty, just like Kwan's, just like many others, uh, inspires me. Hopefully I can do some small thing to inspire others. And, and that serves my path of pursuing spirituality. On another level, uh it was never the the schizophrenic symptoms they never bothered me nearly as much as the fact i tried to hide them that's what really set me back when i reflect upon the past 10 or 12 years i tried to hide a big part of myself and, and that was what really hindered me not the symptoms themselves i think other people might find this to be true in their lives that we are only as sick as our secrets that things which can seem like a big part of, of our lives and, and something that needs to be hidden to other people, they can seem pretty small sometimes. And by small, I don't mean meaningless. I mean, in the larger sense, we tend to get the gist of who people are. We tend to see that uh, the goodness of a person, the compassion, the empathy of a person. And if someone has a criminal history or a history of addiction or uh, mental health issues, these things are true, but the gist of a human being is who she or he is in terms of compassion or empathy or gratitude or uh, or helping others. The criminal history, the history of addiction, mental health issues, that's part of a human being. But we, as the, the psychology and how we interact as a, as a society, is we see the whole person. And if we can project compassion, empathy, love, and kindness, or at least keep striving better and better, then those other things, the addiction, criminal history those are meaningful, but not as much so as what we're bringing in terms of good to the world around us. This is what so many incredible people have taught me, and I hope I'm just doing something to uh, to give back to others the way that they've given to me.
1: That That's, that's absolutely wonderful, and, and certainly there's a lighter side to Ed, and Ed, you you want to share a story that uh, probably will put some smiles on uh, not only Kwan and myself, but uh, our listeners. You want to share a little something?
0: Yeah, I will. I'll share. You know, it was right around this time of year. Uh, what I, I found, I started finding my freedom when I was incarcerated in jail. And it was right around this time of year back in 04. The, I was in jail in Thanksgiving. And I don't know, Quan, if this was your experience, but where I was in county lockup, the the corrections officers decorated. They put up holiday decorations right after Thanksgiving. I noticed that as soon as those decorations went up, the jail took on a much meaner, much more sinister vibe. I don't know if it was because of me feeling the, the weight of my poor decisions and the pain of what I put myself and others through, but those holidays were very challenging. The, the hope, and hopefully the, the lighthearted part of it, is that I, I realized when, when the whole time I was in jail, I never did drugs, with one small exception, because I didn't have the jail skills to, uh, to, to get drugs. My, the, the men around me were, were using drugs. I would have used drugs, but I just didn't have the skills to get narcotics in jail. The experience taught me that if my goal in life is to quit doing drugs, the answer is simple. All I need to do is voluntarily incarcerate myself for the rest of my life, and I'll have no no access to drugs, and I will obtain my goal. But that makes no sense, right? That's ridiculous. The experience taught me that my goal has got to be something greater than quitting drugs. Quitting drugs is a necessary step for me to get where I'm going, but I need to focus beyond that. I need to focus on uh, the spiritual. I need to focus on giving to my communities. I need to transform my life. And quitting drugs is just a step along that pathway. The, uh, I, I, I hope I've been, uh, I don't know if I've been lighthearted uh, enough, but I think the the lighthearted aspect would be that even in the most challenging circumstances, and by the way, my circumstances in jail are not anywhere near as challenging as what many, many others have, have been through, uh, people who inspire me. But for my own challenges, to find the lessons, to find the hope, to find ways of bettering my life, Many other people have taught me through their circumstances, through what they've overcome. Quan, the people in the five ventures, many others. This is how I've applied what I've learned to look back on my own struggles and see how I can learn from them, grow from them. And again, hopefully bring something good to the world around
1: me. That's fantastic. As we, as we get towards the end here, a few, a few questions for you, Ed. What's your, what's your why?
0: My why is, uh, is serving that higher power. There's uh, a quick story. You, I'd love to tell this story. You, you recall George Harrison from The mm-hmm. Beatles? right? George Harrison said that everything can wait except the search for spiritual meaning. Okay, I'm, I'm paraphrasing because he says God. But I, I personally think God, spiritual meaning, they're, they're similar enough for me to use the terms interchangeably. George Harrison says everything can wait except the search for spiritual meaning. The Be- George Harrison was in the Beatles, arguably one of the greatest rock and roll bands in the history of music. And he's saying even the heights of rock and roll stardom can wait, but that search for spiritual meaning can't wait. When I apply that in my life, when I, when I search, and spirituality, the definition I like is the opposite of the material. When I apply myself to, to something not material, to uh, kindness, to compassion, to helping, to giving, to, to giving back, to, to pursuit of uh, something in the spiritual realm. When I truly apply myself to that, then I find the why in my life. Wow,
1: man, seriously, goosebumps right, right there, my friend. Quan, any, any, uh, any last questions for Ed before we get ready to wrap up?
2: Um. No, I was just, I was just listening. So yeah, I don't have any uh, last questions.
1: Pretty amazing. And one last one, Ed, is there a a book other than yours or Quan that we should uh, pick up that, that, uh, that you could recommend for not just myself and and maybe Quan, but uh, our listeners?
0: Well, I'm I'm old school. If you, uh, if you've not read uh, how to win friends and influence people, that's one I would definitely recommend. I refer back to all the time. A couple of books uh, that really helped me are, of course, Brian Stevenson's book, Just Mercy. There is um, The Sun Does Shine. Anthony Ray Hinton spent 30 years, almost 30 years on death row for a crime he was innocent of. Um, there's a book, it's it's dense, yet I found it's worth reading, uh, Solitary by uh Uh, Wood Fox, um, I'm drawing, I think it's Anthony Wood Fox. He spent, uh, I think, 40 years in solitary confinement in Angola State Prison. And if you're you're into something really dense, uh, but really rewarding, there's the Gulag Archipelago, uh, and maybe a lesser known book, but truly inspiring and incredible Primo Levi, The Truce. It's about his journey from being released uh, from a concentration camp to back to his home in Italy after World War II. The Truce, Primo Levi, incredible uh, story. Those are the books I would recommend.
1: That's a good handful, and I was jotting those down because uh, I certainly will uh, will take your uh, your recommendation and 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 uh, get those on my show. All right. This is Brent. and Ed. Thank you so much again, Ed Cressy, as well as Quan Win both authors that will have their books released sometime in the first part of 2020, could be uh, depending uh, a little sooner rather than later, but but go ahead and follow them on their social media and you can know exactly when they'll, they'll cut loose. Once again, Quan, thank you for co-hosting. It was a pleasure, my friend. Always good to see you, Ed, thank you so much. And, and again, I'd like to thank Open Media Source This has been another episode of Breaking Business Barriers, Onward and Upward.
0: You've been listening to Breaking Business Barriers. For more information or if you have a compelling story to tell, find us on Facebook at Open Media Source.